On this episode of the Other Bundesliga podcast, we debrief the World Cup, we look at some transfer news from the Bundesliga, and we share our highlights of 2022. Welcome to the other Bundesliga podcast from the Long Hall in Vienna. It's time to get some beers and some food very soon. Before we do that, we're going to look on this episode at the World Cup. We'll look back at how Qatar 2022 went down and what our highlights were from that and some lowlights as well. We'll then look to the transfer news from the Austrian Bundesliga and round up any gossip from the transfer columns of the Austrian Bundesliga teams. After that, to round off this episode of the pod, we'll look back on all our highlights of what we've done in 2022 and some Austrian football highlights as well. We'll look at who you thought were the best players of 2022 in the Austrian Bundesliga and then we'll judge our season previews that we said in the summer the predictions that we made for the beginning of uh, the 2022-23 season will be put to the test and uh, we'll have all that and more on this episode of the other Bundesliga podcast my name is Tom Midler I'm here with Simon Clark and Lee Wingate and we'll start by talking about the World Cup in Qatar Lee Gianni Infantino just before the World Cup said, uh, amongst some other ridiculous speeches, he said, this will be the best World Cup ever. Uh, we would have laughed him out of town at that time in late November when he suggested that. But what did you make of it? Yeah, I think like a lot of people, I was a bit disillusioned going into the tournament about the fact it was taking place there. Um, and then when the football actually kicked off, Simon and I took a trip to the, the Admiral Arena in Vienna, the, the scene of our initial Bundesliga quiz triumph last year. That's such a weird and brilliant place, the Admiral Arena. It's near the Praterstadion, isn't it? Yeah, and it claims to be the largest sports bar in Europe, which is backed up by no evidence, and I, I don't think it really can be. the largest sports bar in Europe. I, I just can't fathom it. It might be the only one that's got like a Caesars Palace-esque casino interior, but I'm not sure about the largest ever in Europe. No, no, neither am I. But <laughs> once, once that game and, and the rest of the football got underway, I, I found it to be pretty gripping compelling viewing to be honest I really got into it really enjoyed the likes of uh, Morocco getting to the semi-finals uh, enjoyed a little bit less England getting knocked out against France after playing so well um, but I do think yeah it's still important that even after enjoying the football that much to to draw that line between the football and then the non-football side of it because I still think it was fundamentally wrong to do it there and there were still some elements that there were just some bizarre stuff going on you know, you had uh, Lionel Messi lifting the cup while being dressed in that bisht of the Qatari gown dress, which they kind of forced upon him. You know, this is, uh, you wouldn't get, you wouldn't have got that in Germany 2006, would you? Like, <laughs> you know, Fabio Cannavaro wearing lederhosen to lift the World Cup. So See, I might be a bit out there on this one, but I was okay with the bisht. I have to say, it was a bit of a bizarre moment. And there was a very bizarre moment where uh, Infantino sort of pushed Messi towards lifting the trophy. And Messi's like, yeah, mate, I know what, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to lift the trophy in about three steps time. And Infantino should have just let him go, but just sort of keeps pushing him towards the middle of the podium because he obviously wants to be in the limelight alongside him and get as many photos taken in that moment as possible with him and Messi in the World Cup. But then the bish happened that I was okay with it. And you say, yeah, it wouldn't have happened at Germany 2006 with Lederhosen and stuff, but it'd be great if it did. <laughs> well, I'm, now I'm going through previous World Cups and, and what attire people might have been, been forced to wear yeah, to what lift they the trophy. In, was the final of South Korea-Japan in South Korea or Japan? I was in Japan. It was Japan, wasn't it? it? So there you go. There's, there's a whole range of things. They could have had like the wooden clogs. They could have had like the, the big like rice paddy hats. And, you know, they could have been they, there's all kinds of vaguely, you know, inappropriate yeah. stereotypes that, that shouldn't have been done. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm aware that there's a lot that's that not to love about having the World Cup in Qatar, but the Bisht I was okay with. I guess I figure what's really important is for, for people like us, really, is to sort of fact check a little bit of this. There's a lot of legacy promises and a lot of stuff about Qatar improving in a lot of ways, thanks to the World Cup being there. And I guess FIFA are really hoping and, and everyone just is, expects that we'll just sort of forget about Qatar now and nobody's going to look back to Qatar in five years and say, hey, did you actually do any of that stuff? So w I guess we need to make sure that the media are actually doing that. That would, that would be a good way to improve the sort of post-Qatar legacy. What did you make of the World Cup, Sai? It's been six weeks since the opening of the World Cup. It feels like a lifetime ago. 
it genuinely feels like a lifetime ago since the opening game at the Admiral Arena where, where we watched Qatar put in a, just a terrible performance. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it took a while for me to get into the World Cup. And so England's win against Iran really, really helped me get into the World Cup vibes. That was and, quick, and, wasn't it? 6-2 yeah. and a lot of goals. It was, that but, was made it easy. But it, it wasn't until like uh, Argentina's opening game against Saudi Arabia when you saw like the, the 60,000 Saudi fans just going crazy on the biggest upsets in World Cup history. And I thought like that, that really brought the whole tournament into its own, I think. And from there, I mean, you saw the fans of these countries from the, the, the Arab world and the, and the Middle East. And I think, you know, I think that the Middle East, it, it should have had a World Cup. Obviously, Qatar has multiple issues, many, many issues. But the Middle East, you see all the support base, the fans going mad. They love football so much. Okay, it's a world game, and isn't it? You know, it is it's a world a game. region that hasn't had a World Cup. Why not? And, and for me, that was one of the biggest takeaways of the tournament, just the atmospheres for, the, for, for these matches involving Asian teams and, and the Arab world. I think it was really, really, really cool. Obviously, seeing England uh, once again have heart, heartache in the World Cup. But it, it was a fun tournament. Like For once, we can look at the tournament and think... England played really, really well, like, were well in their games. We were unlucky. But uh, for me, it was a great tournament. And I think playing it in November and December actually might have been a positive because the players were in the middle of the season. They were a lot more fit. And I think uh, particularly the games in the quarterfinals and semifinals, just such high-quality games. And the final, I mean, the final was just incredible. Probably one of the best. Well, it was only 40 minutes of absolute madness, wasn't it? Because the first 80 was quite dull. Um, just to come back to what you said there about um, football being a global game that's one of the reasons why I think it was actually really quite nice that it was played in the winter time because there are so many leagues that are played you know throughout the calendar year and then break for the winter and they're always stopping in the middle of their season to play the traditional World Cup so uh, I thought that was quite a nice touch it did have the downside being here in Vienna that we you know very you know, this is very from our, our sort of selfish point of view we missed out on all of the public viewings and the nice things that you get here in the summer the the big screen at the Rathausplatz all of the other outside uh, viewing spots so it was a bit of a different experience sort of trying to get out of the Viennese cold and go into pubs but it was still quite atmospheric and, and quite nice to follow from here just a shame that Austria went in it yeah that was a big shame but I, I think you're right Lee if we take our Eurocentric hats off a little bit we had to sort of suffer the World Cup experience that many nations always have to suffer and many football fans always have to do those things and it's not the same experience for them as it is often for us. And I guess a Winter World Cup was unthinkable before this one, whereas now it is at least thinkable. <laughs> you know, it certainly wasn't a disaster. I agree with what you said, Simon, as well, about the players being fit and generally just leading to high-quality games. To round off our quick World Cup catch-up, which we couldn't avoid really doing a, a first pod here in January, having just come back from, you know, enjoying this World Cup action... Um, a highlight and a low light from, from each of you for the World Cup. Lee, I'll start with you as you're, you're already on the mic. But um, Simon, that means, you know, you've got, you've got a head start to prepare a brilliant highlight and low light. <laughs> I mean, there's obviously all of the um, geopolitical stuff that was going on in the background. But I would say the, yeah, the death of Grant while, while working on that, that Netherlands-Argentina game was, was really sad. Um, clearly worked himself into the ground in that tournament and, and had some some underlying conditions there but that was that was extremely sad and you know he's interacted with us on on twitter a little bit or he did um you know there's quite a lot of overlap between the us and austria really over the past few years with with jesse marsh amongst others so that was probably um a low light yeah i think it's really good that you mentioned grant wilde's passing you know it was something that it's, it's quite hard to explain how, how you feel about that unless you're sort of in the world of football Twitter, which pretty much everybody who listens to this podcast probably is involved in the world of football Twitter in some way. And although we didn't know Grant personally, you know, the circles do overlap somehow. And we had spoken to him and reached out and, you know, exchanged messages here and there about certain topics. Like you said, there was quite some overlap with US football as well for us um, in the last few years. And yeah, it was just a really sad moment. And you realise that within this community we do know each other and we, we feel like we know each other better than we really do and yeah you feel quite close and you can certainly relate to what it's like we've all worked long long hours at tournaments and we, we understand sort of the grind of football as glamorous as it sounds to a lot of people at a lot of the time how working in football is like we do understand what what the sporting media world is like so um, I think that's it's right that you picked that out Lee and it was that was a, a, a very very low moment for all of us and I think that's that's something that we've been struck by and we, we wish his family and friends and everyone who knew him the best absolutely um 
in terms of a highlight, I'd say two things related to Africa. I already alluded to Morocco's run. They're the first African team in the semis, and, and that was absolutely lovely to, to sort of see the scenes and how they how they beat Spain and, and then Portugal. And you just thought at that point, are they going to go all of the way? You could kind of see a, a sort of Greece 2004 scenario. Uh, I also immensely enjoyed, for my own personal reasons, uh, seeing Ghana, despite going out, celebrating at having eliminated Uruguay and Luis Suarez. Um, <laughs> I just thought that was football really does come full circle sometimes. And that was just a, a, a weirdly enjoyable moment for me. Do you know what? I saw the game and I saw, of course I was aware of what was happening with that result. And then South Korea scored as well. And it changed the group. But I didn't really see the Ghana players or staff after that game, I have to say. Did, did they really... Like, tell, tell me more about that. Did they really go for it? Because, I mean, of course, I knew that that would be one that they enjoyed. But did they, did they really party for that? I wouldn't say really go for it. But I, I think there was a certain degree of enjoyment on their faces that you might not necessarily otherwise get from going out of the World Cup. So um, I think they probably did enjoy that. It's like if I'm going down, I'm going to take him with me. And, and that they did. Yeah, I think every team ever who's been eliminated, even if they did really well and were unlucky to finish third, nobody looks at all happy in any way when they get knocked out, do they, in the group? So... Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> that's, that's a very good one. Uh, Simon, highlight and low light of the World Cup? I'll start with the uh, low light. I think uh, the conduct of Gini Anfantino is uh, very much a low light. I think the man is just a disgrace to football. <laughs> Today, do you feel Austrian? Uh, I mean, <laughs> I think that, that he feels to be from every country now, doesn't he? So uh, that's just uh, Infantino. Yeah, yeah, he, he left his mark on the World Cup for very negative reasons in my book. I've just literally seen on Twitter right now, Jenny Anfantino has said today that he wants every country in the world to rename a football stadium after Pelé. So I think, you know, obviously huge respect to Pelé, but you can't, like, that doesn't mean anything in Malaysia. Why would they name a football stadium after Pelé? Why would we, we do that in England? He's, the, the man's just a, a bit of a crackpot. It's a legacy power trip, isn't it? Like... He, he is a crackpot. That's a great uh, expression, Ellie. <laughs> Uh, in terms of the football point of view, I think the worst game in the tournament was um, Mexico-Poland in the group stages. That was one of the mo most abysmal games I think I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> Great um, hyperbole. You just got me like, spitting right my beer back out there. Like, it, it was right in the middle just when the World Cup had kicked off. I believe it was the same day as Saudi Arabia-Argentina as well. So after that high, you, you get that, that low. Um, in terms <laughs> Crushing of, return to reality. In terms of highlights, obviously Kylian Mbappe's second goal in the World Cup final just... The, the immenseness of, of the moment and just seeing him... Crouchy's you know, tweet saying that he did it 10 years <laughs> yeah, ago or whatever. <laughs> exactly, but just I think at that point, everyone watching that game was like, oh my God, I can't believe what's happening. And I think another, another one of those moments was the end of the uh, group involving Germany, Spain, Japan and Costa Rica. That would have been my highlight. Which pitched um, my highlight there. Sorry there, Tom. Where uh, <laughs> at one point, Japan and Costa Rica were going through and it was just like... Yeah, it was one of the greatest ends to a group stage of all time. Um, yeah, so I think it was a fun World Cup. There were a lot, a lot of special moments for a lot of countries. But I think for me personally, those are my highlights and, and lowlights. <laughs> Two quick fire questions. Emmy Martinez, highlight or lowlight? <laughs> oh, <laughs> lowlight, low but Simon can't say highlight because he behaves like Martinez when he plays Pro Evo. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, All right. I, mean, I mean, I like to think if I won the World Cup, maybe I wouldn't do that, but who knows? I really don't know how to feel. It's like epic shithousery. Yeah. There's such a thing as being a bad winner, and it is epic shithousery from Martinez. <laughs> Lee just oh. pointed at Simon there, to, behind his back. <laughs> no, it's, it's, uh, speaking of being terrible winners, the, the Argentina-Holland game, one of the greatest endings to a World Cup game of all time. Amazing. And then, the free kick was, a, was oh, definitely in, in my top three moments. Of course, moments. scoring two goals. It's unbelievable, unbelievable. But then uh, after the, the penalty shootout, the entire Argentina team are going towards the Holland team celebrating. Like, terrible winners. But, <laughs> yeah. but you know, it is what it is. Shithousery in its finest. Yeah, Martinez, I don't know how to feel about that as a, as a former goalkeeper, obviously at a very amateur level myself, but as a former goalkeeper, I'm like... It's, it's both brilliant and also terrible. Same, you know, the, the Aussie goalkeeper before with a penalty shootout for qualification was just like trying everything to put Peru off. It's like, I feel uh, I'm torn about it. But yeah, my highlight would have been as well. Just, I was watching with you, Lee, the, the final day of that game, um, of that group, sorry, with, with Japan. It's no secret that I'm a big lover of Japan and all things Japanese football, especially. And the goal that almost crossed the line, the drama, all of that stuff. And then the fact that the permutations in that group were just wonderful all day long. And Costa Rica looked like they were in for a shock and Spain got beaten and stuff. It, it, that just had 
that encapsulated the drama and why this World Cup format should not be changed. Mm -hmm. it, it needs to stay as, as it is. Imagine if the, like, one way to completely suck the drama out of that would have been like, oh, it doesn't matter. Germany are through anyway, even though they lost or whatever, or they don't need to come back now because they'll probably go through anyway, or you know, just, just take it out and the favourites will still be fine. Like, it, it doesn't, it's just not nice, is it? It doesn't really work. So that was a huge highlight for me. Um, low light, we've already discussed, but yeah, what a, what a strange World Cup it was. And uh, to see it finish with that finale, a bitter, a, a sweet moment, actually, not bittersweet, just sweet moment for me was afterwards. Uh, I said it was bitter because when we were in the pub watching one of the earlier games, somebody asked me, they, they, they got it out of me. They're like, Who's your, who, who do you think is going to win it? Who do you think is going to win it? Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, nah, no, nah, you don't need to do this. Like, we don't need to get embroiled in these arguments. It's like the first day of the World Cup. Anything could happen. I, I'm not going to say. And the guy, the Portuguese guy, was just insisting. He was like, no, 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 you've got to say. You've got to say who's going to win. You have to tell me. I was like, oh, fine. If you really want to know, it's Argentina. And then he, you heard, you back, you can back me up yeah. on this. I definitely did say that. And then he laughed me out of town and was like, no, 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 straight away. Like, no, 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 ridiculous. Like, Cristiano Ronaldo, Portugal. Like, the only answer he would have accepted was Ronaldo-based. And la he laughed me out of town for saying Argentina. And uh, I told him, you know, I told him what for. To be fair, straight away, I was like, mate, you wanted my answer. There's my answer. I stick with it. And uh, I just realized at the end of the World Cup that I'd forgotten that in November, I actually put a little bet on Argentina winning the World Cup and uh, won a very small but you know nice amount of money for Argentina winning the World Cup so there we go excellent beers on you <laughs> beers on me <laughs> alright well, that will be the end of my winnings from this World Cup let's take a very quick break to refill those uh, said beers from the long haul and we'll come back in just a second with some talk from the Austrian Bundesliga and uh, transfer talk to get back to more regular other Bundesliga pod content The winter window has just opened in Austria. Uh, there has been a bit of motion before the winter window even opened. Obviously, that's normal in, uh, in the transfer market. Austria doesn't tend to be a particularly busy country when it comes to the transfer market for, for various reasons, mostly uh, surrounding the fact that most of the clubs don't have a great deal of cash to, to splash. It uh, tends to be more outgoing than incoming when it comes to winter transfers. But has anything happened so far that's caught your eye? Well, like you say, there really hasn't been that much to go on to talk about. Um, I just looked on transfer marked before we came on to record this episode and saw, I think there have been something like nine incoming transfers to Austria and 10 outgoing. So that's, you know, fewer than one each per club. So there really hasn't been much. But Salzburg, one of the more active clubs among amongst the lot, um, we had this sort of, I don't know what you'd call it, a battle for the for the goalkeeping spot. Um, over the past couple of months with, with Philip Kern and Nico Mantle. And um, I, I think neither of them until quite recently really convinced. But Philip Kern ended up getting pretty much the nod throughout the first half of the season. So Nico Mantle is now left to play in Alborg, play for Alborg in Denmark, which, um, you know, I guess he's, he's decided he's, he's had enough of playing second fiddle. That was one that, that caught my eye. Yeah, I think the whole question of this goalie sort of roundabout perhaps at Salzburg is an interesting one because, of course, they're the highest profile team in the country. They play Champions League, uh, still in European football. As you say, the goalkeeper question has been, it was in question at the beginning of this season. It was still kind of up for grabs uh, as we came into the winter break. Kern had yeah, settled himself ahead of Mantle, that's true. Mantle got the loan offer. Uh, Kern, they say, Kern might well be on his way out in summer. And that is why Lask's goalkeeper, Alexander Schlager, who's been one of the best uh, younger goalkeepers in Austria for the last three or four seasons now, um, started to just about establish himself in the Austrian national team setup as well, but is certainly better known at Lask, where he's played about 150 games and played something like 37 games in Europe, I think it is too. So he's been a big, big figure at Lask. He's opted... He's a Salzburger as well, isn't he? Yes, that's right. He started out his career at Salzburg as well, and he opted not to renew his contract at Lask. So they know now that his contract will run out in summer and he will not re-sign. And that has prompted a lot of speculation that he's going to join Salzburg. Uh, times we've seen in the last few days as it comes to the time of recording that um, that deal's been like almost concluded. We haven't heard any official uh, confirmation of that yet, but it does look as though... Salzburg will swoop for Alexander Schlager and he'll join that uh, that battle presumably alongside Philipp Kern for as long as he's there for a number one spot and I like that I do understand from Schlager's point of view it's disappointing for Lask fans of course but 
I, I understand, you know, the time for a new challenge. He's 26 now, I think, and it feels like he's older because he's been around for so long, it, it seems. But he's been a young keeper, a very young keeper for a long time, and now he's sort of in the prime. And I can't blame him, to be honest, for even if he just wants to go to Salzburg and get a couple of trophies in his cabinet. You know, it, it's not much... A lot of players get a lot of hate for doing that kind of thing, but when you think about your career and you think about some of these players you hear that, like, you know, they, they win something as the third goalkeeper at Liverpool or whatever in their 30s, and it's like, that's actually the first trophy I've ever won in my career. It's fair enough right, if a player wants to get a few trophies in his career and maybe, you know, use Salzburg as a springboard if, if he can, but I'd be excited to see what it does for Schlager if he does go there. Uh, it's not sorted right now. I thought at first that he might go to Sturm, actually, because Sturm are also losing their number one goalkeeper. Siedenhandel is in the same situation and said he's not going to renew his contract, apparently, at Sturm either. So a lot of goalkeeper questions in Austria right now. To stay on the topic of Salzburg before we, we move elsewhere, uh, Yuba Diara has just left to go to Cadiz in Spain, so that's another one of the, the outgoing transfers. We didn't really see, he's another one that they've brought in from Mali. They seem to have quite a good scouting network in, in Mali when you think back to, to previous players, notably I'm thinking mostly of, of Samaseku. Um, but um, he didn't really get too much of a, a look in Yuba Diara, I think, at Salzburg. Yeah, he only had nine first-team appearances. And most of those came this season as well. So he's been out on loan at Hartberg and stuff. He's done his shift with the, the team, you know, wearing the, wearing the scale 10 out of 10 in the Hartberg <laughs> scale jersey. Somebody just uh, tweeted about that before we recorded this. And I was like, that, that's got to get a retweet because the Hartberg scale deserves to live on. But Diara's done his time out on loan at, uh, at clubs like that. And now he just sort of was starting to break through in the Salzburg first team this season. And I quite like the look of him. I think he's got a goal and an assist in nine games. Could potentially have stayed at Salzburg and made the, the central midfield position one of his own in the next couple of seasons. He's opted to take an early move to Cadiz, as you said. I'm, I'm a little bit surprised to see that. It's not exactly a high-profile transfer. Slightly surprised to see it. Um, a higher-profile transfer would be if Salzburg captain Maxi Werber moves to Leeds. Again, as we record this in very early January, uh, people are saying that one's right on the edge of, of being done, uh, pr could, could perhaps even be concluded whilst we're recording this pod. Any thoughts on, on Verba to Leeds, if it does come true, reunited with Marsh? I don't want to drop Simon completely in it, but he expressed quite an opinion earlier. I wonder if he, if he feels like going into that in more detail on air. Yeah, um, I'm not overly impressed by Maxi Verba. I think he's a, a very serviceable defender. I think in, in some games, particularly in the Champions League, he hasn't looked quality at all. And uh, I'm just thinking of him going against Premier League attacks and seeing him being completely, you know, torn apart. It's a big step up. <laughs> it's a big step up. Of course, I could be completely wrong and he could fit in well and be a great addition to the Premier League, but I just, uh, I don't see it. But obviously, they want to sign him for, for quite a sizable amount as well. I mean, if you're Salzburg, you're, you're pretty happy with that, I think. Yeah, so close to 20 million with add-ons, is that right? In, in, in Euro, I believe? don't know about the fee, actually, but I, I do think it's sometimes a little bit suspect when you get a manager that goes to a new club and then tries to bring in all of his former players because... Harry then, and that Nico Crenshaw. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, what's this now? So it's Brendan Aronson, uh, Rasmus Christensen. This would be... Would it be the third? Yeah, and they've got Tyler Adams also as, uh, like from the, yeah. the RB and there's, pool, if you will. There's nothing wrong with working with players with whom you have a good pre-existing relationship. But if Marsh doesn't work out at Leeds and then he's got all of these Red Bull guys there, it seems like a bit of a risk from them. We mentioned as well about it being a step up. He's already one of these rare players making this step up for the second time, essentially, because he's already gone to Ajax, joined Sevilla on loan, then permanently, and didn't quite work out for him and came back to Austria. So this is kind of his... His Zweiter Anlauf, I guess you would say, like his, his second chance. He's still quite young. He's shown a lot of versatility this season. He's usually been a centre-back at Salzburg. I didn't really see him moving into a role as captain, to be honest, but that has happened for him in Salzburg. He's played a lot at left-back as well. He's put in a lot of good crosses. I think there's a lot to his game. I can see why Marsh wants him, and I guess, you know, presumably you have to imagine that the relationship between them is very good and that Marsh rates his development very well. Um, the things I like about the transfer are that Salzburg often let a lot of big players go, uh, and, and for big money, maybe to the Premier League, to big leagues. But most of those players are not Austrian. So it's nice to see 
if an Austrian is sort of in the limelight like that, it's just good for us. It's good for Austrian football, of course. It's good for development, maybe good for the national team too. So I hope that that happens for that sense. But the negative side about it for me is the massive use of the term RB Salzburg in English media, who almost without fail refer to FC Red Bull Salzburg as RB Salzburg, whether they're playing in Europe or not. And that's just a very small thing which I'm pedantic about and it grinds my gears because RB Leipzig, of course, is right. But RB Salzburg do not exist. So... It, is it just me that gets annoyed by that a little bit? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I mean, I'm not losing any sleep over it, but no, RB I mean, Salzburg just sounds wrong. <laughs> yeah, it, it does slightly. So w- with Maxi Vober, I don't see him in the same way as Christensen and Aronson. Because when Aronson w- w- went to Leeds originally, you thought, great transfer. There's a young player on the up. Yes, he'll be a hit. Uh, was Christensen was the best uh, defender in the Austrian Bundesliga last season. He, he deserved his chance. Vober, eh. He's not, he, he's not a, a young player who you see as like absolute smash. Yes, he's not performing amazingly as well. Yes, Salzburg are more defensively solid this season than they have been in previous years. But I'm, I'm 50-50 on it. I thought you might join Andre Romaglio or something like that and, and sort of stay at Salzburg for a bit longer <coughs> and perhaps not feel the need to move on necessarily and just win loads of trophies. Obviously, earn well, like do well, uh, have a great career in Austria. But, you know, if he wants to move abroad and he gets the chance to, then you have to say fair enough. And talking about Salzburg's defensive line, I think we just have to do a quick throwback to the World Cup episode because Strahinja Pavlovich, uh, he sort of stood out at the World Cup, didn't he? Uh, Pavlovich, like, he was like a bull in a china shop in that World Cup, like bursting forward, got a goal, the first Austrian Bundesliga player to score a goal in a World Cup since we had a quiz about this. Oh, yeah, Niko Kovac. Since Niko Kovac. Yeah, yeah in, but it was a slightly trick question, wasn't it? Because he scored... I think he had agreed to sign for Salzburg but hadn't moved to Salzburg yet. Right, that's, yeah. that's true. So he was under contract but not really there or something. Yeah. But more on those highlights from the Austrian Bundesliga's Christmas party later in the month. <laughs> yes. But anyway, I thought it would be remiss not to mention Strahinja Pavlovich, especially as we've talked about the World Cup. Um, any other transfer highlights to, to talk of? Yeah, I, I've seen Sai got this up on his, his laptop a minute ago. I want to come, come on to Marian Lubacic, who... You know, started the season really flying for, for Lask on loan from Hajduk Split. That transfer's been made permanent now. I know you were, we were all raving about him, weren't we, at the start of the season? Six league goals in the first three games. Sort of dried up a little bit since then. Is that, is that as good as it would have been an announcement in, in August? I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, so on the face of it, he, he, well, what he's done this season looks great. He scored 13 goals and I believe 17 matches, which on paper looks great. But since August, he's barely scored anything. So um, uh, it's interesting. Obviously, the, the, they see a lot of potential there. He's only 20 years old. They had an, an option to, to, to purchase him anyway. And on transfer mark, they say the fee was 2.4 million euros, which I don't believe. <laughs> it seems very, very high. That's uh, like a market value kind of thing. Yeah, I don't a... think it's as high as 2.4 million. I'd, I'd be shocked if it was. But then if you remember, Lask received 1.4 million for Marco Raguz. And he's not played a single game at Austria-Vienna. And now if they spend 2.4, if it, if it is true, and they spend 2.4, you know, that's a net million for, for Lubicic. Yeah, I mean, I mean, potentially. I mean, obviously, it's an exciting uh, uh, 2023 for the club, moving into their brand new stadium, hopefully by the middle of February. But by looking on their Instagram and Facebook, it looks almost ready. So fair play to Lask. That'll be exciting and we'll be there, hopefully, opening game. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. I'd love to uh, think so. Uh, that'll be the first game back from the Bundesliga season, I believe. They've got a game in the cup first, and then they yeah. play. I think they play away from home in the Bundesliga first to give them an extra week. Mm-hmm. So I think they've got a couple of away games to, to help them out and give them a bit of a, a window to, to get things finished off. But anyway, it's, it's an exciting uh, start to 2023 for Lask, and they have a striker who, if he recaptures you know, a, a little bit of the form he had in August you've got a player who's going to score at least 20 goals this season. And he's, he's over halfway there already. So exciting stuff, I'll ask. Brian Teixeira, one of the players of the year so far. He's been linked with a lot of clubs. I wonder if we'll see him leave in January from, uh, from Austria Lustenau or not. Hard to say at this point, but he's, he's certainly been uh, getting a lot of interest. Yeah, I mean, we, we did ask uh, the, the media representative at Austria Lustenau for an interview with Brian Teixeira, didn't we, at the Christmas party? Um, <laughs> and it remains to be seen whether we will get that interview from him because we don't know if he's going to be there. There seems to be some interest um, from Rapid. He looks really, really energetic, creative, very dynamic, um, particularly threatening down the left flank. And I think he's probably been Lustenau's 
best player. I don't think that's too much of a leap to say that, is it, uh, uh, this season? So, um, very impressive. And I think he probably could go on to uh, bigger and better things. It was impressive. Um, I think, for me, the final transfer news might be something preemptive. Might not even happen, but we do dabble in rumour and speculation occasionally. Would this be Iceland? It would be Iceland, or, or FC Copenhagen, to be more specific. So, so Iceland and also Denmark. But um, Salzburg have been linked maybe primarily by us, <laughs> uh, with Hakon Haraldsson. And the reason for that is because suddenly we got a lot of DMs from journalists in Denmark and in Iceland being like, hey guys, do you know anything about Salzburg for Hakon Haraldsson? Mm. And everyone was like, just, yeah, do you know anything about this? Like, blah, blah, blah. So I tweeted, we tweeted out, you know, could Salzburg be moving for Hakon Haraldsson? Um, he's Iceland's player of the year for 2022. Uh, 19 years of age, big talent at FC Copenhagen, played all six games in the Champions League, man of the match against uh, Dortmund in the Champions League for FC Copenhagen. And I basically just said, yeah, we've got so many tweets. I just put a thing out being like, could Salzburg be moving for that? And everyone's like, do you have more detail? What do you know? And then newspapers started writing like, Salzburg maybe making a move for Haraldson. And they had sort of less facts than they would normally have. So I sort of wonder if we, I'm I'm not trying to big us up here, but I wonder if we made a little like, media train start it wouldn't be the first time we've done that but um, uh, people are like what what other details do you have and it's like well none really but loads of people started dming us about it from iceland and denmark so it sort of made me think it might be happening yeah i mean it, it wouldn't be uh, that difficult to imagine because this is it's a bit of a, a path that's becoming increasingly well trodden now austrian bundesliga clubs raiding fc copenhagen you know, you've got Sturm Graz who have gone for, for Rasmus Hoyland, who's since moved on to Atalanta. William Berving as well as, as his replacement. I think people are starting to discover there are some really talented players there and um, they might be available. So if that's not something to go on, I don't know what is. Exactly. It sort of reminds me as well of like a Moritz Kiergaard kind of transfer where they see potential in somebody young. Who's, this is a bit, uh, a bit more unusual, a bit more notable perhaps that Haraldsson is obviously doing so well at... Uh, Copenhagen, whereas Moritz Kiergaard was like not really doing so well at his club at the time. But yeah, he's he sort of is the kind of player that seems to fit the Salzburg mould completely, doesn't he? So I wouldn't be surprised to see a move for Hakan Haraldsson. I think with that, we'll conclude our transfer section. We'll come back after another refill. I've just finished my beer. I've gone through that one very quickly, actually. Yeah, I um, finished mine as well, Tom. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Haven't eaten enough today. Got to be a little bit careful. I just came off uh, commentary duty, actually, with the... Uh, Norwich and Watford, so Daniel Bachmann, Austria goalie, in goal for, for Watford, who got the win. But um, yeah, after this quick refill of our drinks, we'll be back with some highlights of 2022 and maybe some things that we're looking forward to in 2023 as well. So, welcome back to the other Bundesliga podcast. Highlights of 2022. I'll ask you guys personally what what we've enjoyed the most in Austrian football and just in our own lives in in seeing football. But first and foremost, I tweeted out um, something about Happy New Year. You know, what have your highlights been of 2022? Who have your best players been? And the overwhelming consensus online came down to one man. And that man was Keito Nakamura. Would you you be surprised to see that? Would you guys have any other shouts for for players that have impressed you the most in calendar year 2022? Because there are quite a few um, there are quite a few candidates, I think, for that. And, yeah, if you, you take it away, I'll read through some of the ones that we had as well. Well, based on August alone, I would have said Marin Lubicic, but as we've alluded to, he's sort of faded a little bit since then. I think Keito Nakamura is just a, a great player, and what makes him stand out perhaps a little bit more than some of Salzburg's many talented players is he's not playing for Salzburg and he's he's really been the driving force in a lot of the good things Lask have done if they can keep hold of him I think that would be incredibly important to build on I think he's sort of the fulcrum of yeah of their team right now I think the reason that he would probably get the nod from me is that to, to be technical to the question we said best player for 2022 and he had a quite strong end to the season with Lask last season and he's been very strong at the beginning of this season. Goals and assists, both both of those things coming. He's involved in a lot of the good stuff that last do, as you said. And there's been other players. Carlon Carpenter suggested Marco Gruel. He also suggested Jakob Janscher. Both fantastic players who've been brilliant in 2022. But I'd argue that both of them were even better or much better 
at the end of last season than they have been, not through necessarily their own fault. Gruel had a bit of a dip in form at the <coughs> beginning of this season. Jancha had an injury that, that ruled him out. You know, his start to the season was much later than a lot of other players. So I think for the whole of 2022, whilst they are good shouts, they perhaps wouldn't take the crown if there was a crown to be taken. Anderson Dos Santos Gomez from uh, Austria Lustenau got a shout as well. Um, I mean, Brian Teixeira didn't get any shouts, but he's probably close, isn't he? Uh, Christian Ilzer is a name that popped up several times. Dominic Fitz came up. Richard Turkovic suggested Julia Zangel, the goalkeeper of uh, the FC Blauweiss Linz women's team. So <laughs> No bias there. Then. I can't say I'm surprised that he managed to come up with a, an FC Blauweiss Linz cooperation player at least. But um, to be fair, Julia Zangel in the Frauen Bundesliga has been fantastic as a goalkeeper at a team that's not right at the top performing brilliantly. And I did just say in the tweet, Bundesliga, best, best player in the Bundesliga of 2022. So fair play, technically he's not wrong. But if you've got any more suggestions on, on the names that I just mentioned or anyone else, do, do you come out with them? I, I mean, I think for me, Keita Nakimura just... He takes it because he's been there the entire year. But uh, Asmus Hoyland, I think, uh, can be definitely in the top three solely because of his antics in the season 2021-22 and also his three goals very, very early on this season and also his goals in the Champions League qualifying or whatever. But obviously now he's at Atalanta, so maybe he, he'll be out of sight, out of mind. But I think uh, Erasmus Hoyland definitely deserves to be up there as He's well. definitely in the top few, isn't he? Yeah, he I is, think, definitely. like you said, the, the transfer away for 17 million both boosts his profile in Austria, but also probably knocks him down a peg a little bit because he's not been here to continue on that run of form. But um, yeah, he, he's definitely a good shout. Lee, any, anyone else? that comes into the mix, or if not, your thoughts on Christian Ilzer being the man of the year 2022? Man of the year. Time, <laughs> p- time personality of the year. TOB personality of the year. We, um, we shall tell them. Whoever we decide, we'll tell them, and we'll go and present them with an award. No, I think, I think when, you, when, you, when you reflect on Christian Ilzer's time at Austria-Vienna, that wasn't a good fit for, for various reasons, and it, it didn't work out. And he's really gone and shown, no, I do have what it takes when you're competing with Salzburg, you are realistically competing for second place. They were the second best team last season. And I think they will be the second best team this season. I don't think that's too much of a, you know, going out on a limb there. Um, I think he's done a great job. Yeah. Personality of the year for me. I, I pinched this off Twitter, actually. So I can't take credit for this. I think it was Johannes Christofferich who had this on Twitter. But... Um, he totted up all of the points in 2022 for the Austrian Bundesliga teams. Of course, you've got um, the Punkteteilung, the sharing of the points, the halving of the points, etc., etc. Some teams playing in the lower half, some teams playing in the upper half. It, it does skew the stats slightly. But across 2022, it, is, uh, it paints a very, very clear picture. Salzburg lead the way, as you'd expect, with 74 points. Sturm a second, also as you'd expect. But how many points behind that are mm. Sturm? 74 for RB Salzburg, shall we call them for today's episode? Uh, 74 the for them. Calendar, yeah. How far behind for the calendar year 2022? I'm going to say points. 20 points behind. Lee, any... any uh, I'm going to say they've got 49 points. They have 58 points. Ah. So they are... What's that? 68, 74. So they're 16 points behind, which is significant shall we <laughs> yeah, say yeah, but uh, yeah I don't know it, it's something isn't it that, uh, and they are absolutely in a league of their own for second place third place who's in third anyone uh, care to hazard a guess at third place it gets very close after this but Harper Vienna wrong Ask. Austria Vienna Austria Vienna Lee's right Austria Vienna 48 points Austria Vienna so another 10 back Lask 46 VSK Tirol 45 uh, so big shout out to VSK Tirol for being in fifth place in the 2022 combined rankings and uh, Rapid Vienna 41. So obviously a bit disappointing for them to be sixth in 2022, even though they were in a, a sort of tougher division, as it were, than some of those teams. But The winners of the Golden Boot last season, Kerry Madiemi and Chakamo Veroni, the two of them have not had the greatest post post Austrian Bundesliga time of it, have they? I mean, you can speak about Adeyemi. I think Adeyemi's time in Dortmund has been interrupted by a lot of niggling injuries. And then when he has come in, Dortmund have been quite inconsistent as well. So it's just, it's not quite, he's not quite hit the ground running, but obviously we know the talent and, and hopefully he will. Uh, I don't know, where, where has Rioni been? New, New England Revolution. Yeah, okay. one goal. Okay. Yeah. Dropped from the dizzying heights of uh, 
being the Austrian Bundesliga's joint top goal scorer. It has not been a revelation for Giacomo Vioni. He did come back to VSG Tirol at some point, though, didn't he? I think he watched like a nil-nil draw between VSG Tirol and, and somebody in the in the Bundesliga. <laughs> and I remember thinking like, oh, cool. But, but he's really uh, chuffed to come back for that one. Uh, if we are allowed to throw in some personal highlights uh, in this section as of well. Of course we are. I had a bit of a balmy one-day trip to, uh, to Innsbruck with Simon. Uh, towards the end of the, um, well, just before the, the, the Bundesliga break. Um, we travelled uh, around 860 kilometres on the train in one day <laughs> to take wow. in uh, a VSG Tirol win against, was it Reed? Reed yeah, 2-0. Yeah, um, some nice goals, but both in the space of about 90 seconds and then there was very little else going on. But <laughs> it was a highlight for me, not just because I got to spend the day with Sai, but also because... There was a be- there is a beautiful mountain backdrop to that stadium, the the Tivoli Stadion in Innsbruck, and I've wanted to see it for a long time. So I was glad that we made it. It's a it. good backdrop, isn't it? I mean, Innsbruck was a place that I've never been to before, actually. Despite the fact shocking. that, that is the, massively despite shocking. Despite the fact I lived in Austria for seven years, I've never been to Innsbruck, and uh, it was really. I mean, so going to watch VSK Tirol at the uh, at the Tivoli. Obviously, it's the home of Vak Innsbruck, uh, who who now are in the fourth division after their financial yep. issues. I think so. That's uh, something for 2022 that, you know, a team with a lot of pedigree, a lot of history, and I had to go down to the fourth division. But yeah, being in the Tivoli Stadium with that view was definitely a highlight for me. But also we, we had a pizza before the game that was absolutely fantastic. One of the best pizzas, <laughs> that, one of the best pizzas I've ever had in Austria. So yeah, it was, it was nice, wasn't it? Like? Any shout out to the pizzeria in uh, Innsbruck? <laughs> oh, no, you don't have to know it. No, just if you did, I then I'll find it out. I'll, I'll, I know I'll we have visitors to, the, to, to Austria who go you know, all across the other Bundesliga to, to all kinds of places. Not everybody comes to Vienna, which is completely fair enough, of course. But uh, yeah, other other Bundesliga uh, trips that, that I did this year. Well, we all did the Vorarlberg trip, which we, we dedicated a whole episode to. That was that was really nice. That was wonderful. A uh, little little catch in a game in, in Liechtenstein and then over to, to Switzerland to realize that the food is three times as expensive <laughs> and we should go back. But finally ticking off Altac, ticking off mm. Austria mm. Lustenau as well. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, the apple juice trip. The apple juice um, trip. And then. Uh, I really enjoyed my my day trip to Reed to see them play uh, Altac in a bit of a sort of an early relegation battle, three two, lots of goals. I really like that stadium uh, because you are just so close to the pitch and it really keeps the sound in. Um, that was a great day out. The the the, the, the match day food and beer at um, at that stadium as well is is excellent. So that was that was enjoyable. Very cool. Sval Reed getting a nod there. And Altac actually asked me to commentate on one of those goals. They asked us to commentate on the, the highlight of their best goal of the Herbst season 2022, which was Johannes Tartarotti's winner in the game that you saw between uh, Altac and, uh, Reed and Altac. So that was fun. If you go online, you can hear Altac scoring their best goal of 2022 with us on commentary duty. Good yeah. times. And of course, 2022 was finally the year we went international as well. <laughs> uh, we with trips to watch a... Bayern Munich, Salzburg, and uh, Slavia Prague against Lask, and also the World Cup playoff between Wales and Austria. So uh, I was lucky to go to all three of those, and um, the atmosphere at the Wales game was top three autumn atmospheres I've ever been in. And uh, obviously, I was—I really wanted Austria to win. I, it wasn't going to happen. I mean, in that atmosphere, it was just sensational. But um, yeah, so the, those free international trips, I believe it's a 13 free loss for Salzburg, Lask and, uh, and Austria. So. Oh, no. But that's, that's not particularly so great. So we shouldn't <laughs> go away internationally in the future. Uh, no, but, but I mean, the trip to the Allianz Arena uh, where they lost 7-1 and, and Maxi Vorber had the, one of the worst games I've a ever bear. seen a player. His first half was maybe one of the worst single first halves I've ever seen. Okay. So yeah, it wasn't great. And then our, our trip to Prague as well was great. As well. in, the same, in the same week as well, Munich and Prague in the same week. Huge. Was, uh, That's the European yeah. season for you. Love it. it. Is. I was uh, going to bring up the point that Salzburg played against Bayern in the Champions League, maybe as some of the, the biggest highlights, the general Austrian footballing highlights of 2022, because we had uh, Salzburg getting to the knockout stages of the Champions League. I know it was a long time ago now. I don't want to have recency bias. And obviously it ended in disaster that, <laughs> that night in Munich, but still nonetheless an impressive achievement. You had Austria women doing so well in Euro 2022 this summer. Uh, you had David Alaba winning the Champions League with Real Madrid as well earlier on in 2022. Uh, you had Oliver Glasner winning the Europa League as an Austrian coach. Absolutely incredible considering his career uh, started at Reed, you know, came through Lask, did so well there. And then now is a Europa League winning coach. And uh, 
a little-known one, which I'll throw in there, is that you had um, Marko Arnautovic returning to play against an Austrian team in a 9-0 friendly win between Bologna and Kapfenberg. Absolutely huge. Marko Arnautovic getting on the score sheet. But no, in more seriousness, uh, Marko Arnautovic just generally being one of the best strikers in Serie A this season. At a, you know, it's not an easy task being the centre forward for Bologna. So if you had to pick one of those, would you, would you pick anything as your, your 2022 highlight? Your, your outstanding 2022 moment? Your sports personality of the year for Austrian football from TOB perhaps in 2022? Just from a magnitude point of view, I would say um, Ralph Ranić coming in as the Austrian national team coach Ooh, from Manchester United. That was probably like thinking of headlines that probably steals it for me. Yeah, United coach becoming Austrian coach, true. And then he, he started off with a 3-0 win against Croatia, right? <laughs> Away in Croatia. It, it all went downhill from there, but we don't need to talk about that. Um, Simon, anything else? Uh, no, I mean, that's a fantastic point. I mean, that 3-0 win against Croatia, we kind of got slightly overexcited by it <laughs> maybe we did uh, I mean uh, I mean so, so Austria uh, played against France in the Nations League uh, it, it was a great 1-1 draw only a moment of magnificence from Kylian Mbappe uh, made sure that Austria didn't get the win but uh, overall it was a dis- disappointing uh, UEFA Nations League campaign but you know it was a tough tough group involving the World Cup finalist the World Cup semi-finalist and then a team that reached the semi-finals of the Euros in 2021 so pretty tough Pretty tough, yeah. I'm going to go with Glasner winning the Europa League for me. That is a monumental moment for Austrian football. The fact that Glasner's now in the realm of, you know, if a big, big, big team picked up Glasner as their manager in the next couple of years, you wouldn't be that surprised. You know, look at the, the calibre of managers that have won the Europa League. And to do it with Eintracht Frankfurt, just, it's just a huge moment, actually, for Austrian football. It gets forgotten a little bit because he's on the sidelines. But what a career Oliver Glasner is having. And, you know, if he continues on at this trajectory, he could really be one of the very very best ever Austrian football personalities so I'll give it to him it's a a massive moment for me um Lee we just talked a moment ago about us perhaps getting a little bit excited making uh you know getting excited about Ranić's beginning to to his tenure did we get excited at the beginning of the season I know you've looked back and listened back to our our wild predictions before 2022 began or before the season began how how are we standing uh on that right now (laughs) yeah in our season preview episode we made sort of the usual um predictions you asked for a surprise package and uh, i think a a struggler um i'll read out some of the predictions and then perhaps we can reflect on how off the mark or on it we were um tom you went out on a limb and said salzburg clear favorites to win the title (laughs) you're looking looking good for that risky i'm a risk taker what can i say (laughs) Um, I said Austria and Sturm to come second and third, not sure in what order. Um, Sturm are comfortably in second, Austria down in seventh, but there was obviously the points deduction and the gap is not so big. Um, but True. I can't believe they've let their coach go, though. Mm. I can't believe that. That's just, the fans are not happy. We could see a return to, they look so happy with Manfred Schmidt in charge. And now we could see a return to the, the dark days of not very long ago where Austria fans don't want to come to their games anymore because they're so depressed. Mm. Do you think that's, is that going to happen again? Oh, it's really hard to predict. It's just, it doesn't really seem to be a, a place where all things are well. So they had this, this brief period of stability and, and good results. You kind of hoped it would last for them, but... To be, to be seen, I to think. Be seen. We don't even know who their new manager is yet. Surely they got somebody to take over if they, if they got rid of Schmidt, but never mind. Sorry to derail the, the prediction. So Sturm second, Austria not quite third. Yeah, so half and half there. Um, I also said um, Lustenau was the surprise package, which was looking good for the start of the season, less good now, and Hartberg to go down. They are bottom. Oh, yeah, to be fair, you've done very well with that because Lustenau have, I mean, yes, they, they started extremely strongly, but still, they have yeah. been a surprise package in some sense, even if that surprise was starting like a firework and then like, you know, coming back down to earth very quickly. But they've still been a surprise and Hartberg are bottom. So I think you, you get like a good eight out of 10 for that guess. Yeah, so I had a good one as well saying Austria Klagenfurt might get top six again. They are, you know, with all of the bigger players in the top six at the moment. Look at so. that. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy at that. He's <laughs> wagging his finger. He's desperate to get all excited. It, it's, not, it's not all great, right? <laughs> um, Tom, on, Lee. you said Sturm, very strong contenders for second place, correct? Concerned about Lask as they haven't massively improved. Um, I suppose they did tail off a little bit, didn't they? Um, after that, that opening sort of fiery start to the season. Yeah, for much of, for much of the season, that prediction looked absolute nonsense, though, to be fair. They flattened out a bit, but they have... 
they've certainly I still think they're sort of comfortable in the top six really mm. so I, I'm not I'm not going to give myself more than a four out of ten for that one Sai back to you um, Patrick Grail to be a sensation of the season Ooh. at Rapid Vienna Ooh, okay uh, that's that's not happened, mate. No, that's not happened. That has no, not happened. Not happened. Yeah. I said, <laughs> I said, Didi Kubauer to be involved in a touchline fight, which I don't think has happened. I don't think so, mate. I'm sorry. I don't think it's happened. No. He's looked generally like a quite calm figure compared to the the former Didi Kubauer days. So, and we'll finish with a sensational prediction. This was partly fed, but you ran with it. And you said, after the departure of Turgay Gamichi Bazi, the Austria Klagenfurt would not have a single red card by Christmas <laughs> in an amazing about turn of fortunes. And it is true. They do not have oh, a red card yes, by Christmas. Come on. So that, that's the... I think overall... I got one. Overall, I think... <laughs> no, overall, I think the predictions were, were fairly good. A couple of, of erroneous shouts, but, you know, we all had them, so... <laughs> pretty good effort um, guys before we, let's, let's wrap up this one get another beer at the long hall get some food in I know we're, we're desperate for some brilliant pub grub here at the long hall um, 2023 it's early January as we record this you might be listening to this now in which case happy new year if it's still early January if it's not then uh, great to have you with us here on the other Bundesliga podcast anyway whilst the winter break goes on and we still don't have any real football to talk about what are you looking forward to in 2023? Uh, personally, professionally, football-wise, Austrian football-wise, whatever. Just throw it out there. Things I'm you're looking forward to. I'm looking forward to, to, to Patrick Greel having a fantastic <laughs> 2023. <laughs> <laughs> but no, seriously. Uh, Very I think, well um, uh, Salzburg's uh, clash against uh, Jose Mourinho's Roma in the Europa League will be very, very fun. Uh, I think that'll be very exciting. Mouth-watering. I, I think... RB Salzburg. <laughs> I think we could have a title race. We could, because if the points are split, maybe, maybe I don't know. We say this every year. I know, but I'm I'm trying to get it into into reality, Lee. You know. <laughs> yeah, manifest it. Manifest it. Yeah, I'm trying to, to manifest put up it, a title yeah. fight. So I think that maybe I think um, the Austrian national team will have a year of improvement as well. Um, but yeah, I think I'm optimistic for for the year. I think it'll be fun. I'd add the OFB Cup quarterfinals because we've got seven Bundesliga teams and one third-tier team, Wiener Sport Club. Um, they're playing against Reed on the 5th of November, so I'm really looking forward to seeing if we could get them perhaps going even deeper into the competition. Great third-tier team if you're going to have one. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. When are they playing? Sorry? I thought you said 3rd of November then. 5th of, of February. Did I say 3rd of November? I think you said November. Okay. Well, the second to last month or the second month? It's it? just a mistake, but it is the 5th of <laughs> February. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo's birthday, in case anybody's wondering. <laughs> I didn't know that. I'm, I'm gutted that the Austrian women, I know we talked about this last time, I'm gutted that the Austrian women are not at the, the World Cup. I would, have, I would have loved an excuse to jet us out to Australia and New Zealand for this World Cup. Um, never mind. What am I looking forward to in, in 2023? Um, I don't even know. I've teed myself up here for something that, that I don't know. I'm looking forward to seeing Lask's new stadium. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, it's always nice to have you know another brand new stadium in the Austrian Bundesliga, a nice uh, a new place for us to venture to. So I'll just wrap it up with that, and uh, we'll say thank you very much for joining us throughout 2022. We look forward to having you with us again through the course of 2023. We're desperately awaiting the end of the winter break uh, for Austrian football to come back with cup and league action restarting in February so we can bring you uh, even more Austrian football content. We'll try and give you a couple of roundups, perhaps if some big transfers take place, but for more... Uh, current information do stick with us on twitter at other bundesliga you can find us on all the usual social media channels but twitter is where we are most active so uh, follow us at other bundesliga for your austrian football knowledge throughout 2023 if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast please consider leaving us a review on your podcast platform of choice that's extremely helpful to us We also have a Patreon page if you wish to chip in a few euro each month to help us out. That's over at patreon.com forward slash other Bundesliga. Special thanks go to Gabriel Geber at Torn Geber Studios for this lovely music and also to the gentlemen creatives for their other Bundesliga logo artwork.